0: Visit roberthalf.com today. New CBS Sunday. You
1: collect rewards, right?
0: This is how I make my living. When something is lost. Everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker, new Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. <laughs> and first pitch, watch A fantasy question? Email fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Well,
1: hello there, and welcome into fantasy baseball today on Tuesday, May 9th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're going to recap all of Monday's games. Mitch Keller threw the first shutout of his career, the first complete game of his career. Dylan Cease continues to struggle. Mason Miller is hurt, we can't have nice things, and much more. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Scott, let's jump right in.
0: Unbelievable!
1: He's not a cheetah, he's a lion! He's not a cheetah, he's a lion. That's from the Pirates broadcast a couple of years ago. I figured I'd throw it in there for uh for Mitch Keller. But we'll actually start with what, you. What was it
0: referencing?
1: You know, Scott, if I gave you 20 guesses on a Pirates player, you wouldn't get it. <laughs>
0: It's completely random. I thought it was like a Jose Altuve (laughs) home run or something, but you said Pirates.
1: Pirates. Jacob Stallings hitting a grand slam, Oh, a walk-off grand slam off Edwin Diaz a couple years ago. Okay. So completely random. Anywho, why don't you get a starter here, Scotty?
0: All right. Let's talk about Tony G, Tony Gonsolin, who had his coming out party here against the Brewers. Six innings, no earned runs. He did allow a three-run homer to Joey Weimer, but they were all unearned runs. And uh, he'll have three base runners total, just three hits, no walks, six strikeouts. So it's good that he went six innings, first of all. Got uh, a little more leash here after opening the season on the IL, being limited early on. But it's not just that. It's that his velocity was up one and a half to two miles per hour on everything. So even, even being stretched out more, Tony Gonsolin brought the heat. He brought the fire in this start against the Brewers and obviously got a great result. Those velocities were very similar to last year's velocities. So it seems like he's back to normal now, Tony Gonsolin. And, and need I remind you, last year he went 16-1 and with a 214 ERA, .88 whip, 8.2K per nine. Gosh, those numbers surprise me even and I was the one uh, reminding you of how good they were. I they're, they're probably not gonna be that good, but you know, even if he even if he's a 314 ERA instead of a two fourteen ERA, which would be considerably worse, it would still be great, right? It would still make Tony Gonsolin basically a must star pitcher. Uh his career ERA is two fifty three, so I don't know. I don't know. He's good. Get him get him started again.
1: Yeah, Tony Gonsolin for sure. This kind of felt like his first real start back, right, Scott? With that velocity up closer to where it was last year, he averaged ninety three point two miles per hour on the fastball in this start, and again he was right around ninety three miles per hour last season. So a really good start for Tony Gonsolin here. Of course, he does have you know quite an extensive injury history, but you know the level of investment they had to play for him in drafts was much lower than it was earlier in draft season. So uh, I don't think it's like a sell high kind of situation. If anything, you could probably make the case that it's like a buy high situation on Tony Gonsolin. Speaking of buying high, might be the case for one Mitch Keller, who completes a four-hit shutout up against the Rockies. One walk allowed, eight strikeouts, 11 swinging strikes on 103 pitches, and... He rode the 4 seam fastball in this one, which was up nearly one mile per hour. One thing I noticed uh, on Monday's slate of games, Scott, is that it felt like velocity was up across the board for a lot of pitchers. I don't know if it was just the weather being better. Uh, frankly, I don't know what the weather was everywhere else, but it was really nice in New York today, so I was like, I don't know. Maybe just everyone was dealing with good weather, and as a result, uh, you know, ticking up a little bit on the pitches, but ma- back to Mitch Keller The breakout season continues here, Scott. 272 ERA, 109 whip, well over a strikeout per inning, 10.2K per nine. The walks are down this year. The lowest average exit velocity of his career. The FIP, the XFIP, you know, it basically lines up. It's right in the the mid to low threes. Lots to like here with Mitch Keller. My question to you, I know we usually update our rankings. I think you on Tuesdays and me, I kind of do it like Tuesdays and Wednesdays. How far do you see Mitch Keller kind of boosting up those starting pitcher ranks?
0: Well, let's pull it up here. I will tell you that prior to this podcast, I was writing about sell-high pitchers. I kind of felt like I neglected the reading audience with my Graham Ashcraft sell-high on Graham Ashcraft take. So they didn't get to benefit the same way the podcast audience did. But I didn't want them to miss out on other sell-high picks at pitcher. And I didn't, I did not, include Mitch Keller as a sell-high target. Probably faked you out with that, right? You all right, all you, right. You didn't think that was where I was going. You, but, you had me a little nervous there. Well, I, I, like he still makes me uneasy, but it's, it's just hard to find anything in the data to point to to say, aha, this is what's going to cause him to... This this is why he's overachieving. He's going to fall apart because of this. Like everything lines, as you already outlined, everything lines up. Everything supports itself, basically, in, in the data for Mitch Keller. Uh, I, I still think pitching for the Pirates is probably not going to be the best thing for him in the long run. But I could move him... I'm seeing how low I have Justin Steele still. There's probably going to have to be a fair amount of rearranging happening here between 35 and 60 for me uh right now i have keller 62nd i could get him in the top 50 probably
1: yeah that's exactly what i was thinking too and uh, last week i was pretty aggressive in moving both mitch keller and justin Steele up together Uh, i have keller at 52 and Steele up to 53 and uh yeah they probably should be mid 40s ish you know guys like chris bassett and charlie morton um yeah, I think that's probably where where some of those guys are going to settle, Mitch Keller and Justin Steele. So
0: I did have Justin Steele as one of the sell-high pitchers. Ooh, do you uh, want to elaborate quickly? I mean, he's been... He entered today the third best pitcher in fantasy, and I don't think he can be that good. And as, as we talked about on yesterday's show, I mean, the fact he's averaging... Forget less than a strikeout per inning. He's averaging less than eight strikeouts per nine innings. So he's really relying on outlier contact suppression and I just think that's not a very sticky stat to begin with it's really difficult to sustain that and and in this particular environment where contact is so damaging I'm not sure it's a formula for success anyway I, I feel like the floor is pretty high with Justin Steele but I think in the long run he's more of a back end of your fantasy rotation guy than the top five pitcher he's been so far so in, an, in, in, in a landscape where uh, – a pitching-starved landscape, somebody who's hurting at there will see those numbers from steel and probably want to buy in pretty hard. And that's, that's the whole thing, right, when you're selling high. It's not that I want to get rid of this problem child. It's that I want to realize the gains of this asset. I want to sell it at its peak so that if it goes down – I've sold at its peak. If it doesn't go down, I've sold at its peak. So I don't even really care what happens to it after that. I just know that I've, I've realized the gains and that's, that's the, that's the whole idea of selling high. And I think people sometimes lose sight of that.
1: And of course, again, the emphasis on the high part of that selling high on Justin Steele, not just selling him and saying, Oh, you know, I got back a, uh, like a top 100 player. Obviously you'd, you'd want to do better than that. The way that Justin Steele has pitched so far, I'm a little bit more bullish, Scott. I get it. I mean, there will be some regression. He's not going to pitch to a 145 ERA or a .95 WHIP all season, but man, like he is really limiting the uh, the hard contact this year,
0: and he has done it so far to like ninety to to like ninety six to ninety eighth percentile, right, in terms of average exit velocity and and max exit velocity, and so I just think that it's difficult. Like that's that's a really high standard to sustain over the season, and even at that level, his xera is like three. His expected era is like three, which would be great, but like he's probably not going to sustain that level. So I'm thinking low to mid three zra for Justin Steele with modest strikeout okay. numbers. Like I said, more of a more of a uh, fill out your rotation kind of guy than a true standout.
1: Okay. I'm just going to put it out there that I'm a little bit more bullish on, on Justin Steele. Okay. And I, I think just Fair the enough. Cubs pitchers in general, because they kind of strike me as like, there's usually one or two teams every year where they sustain a really low bad because they have really good defense. And I think the Cubs are going to be that team this year. And, We've seen it so far with Marcus Stroman, and we're seeing it with Justin Steele, so uh, I just kind of feel like maybe they're just going to outperform some of their underlying numbers for the rest of the season. Uh, This all started with Mitch Keller, who, again, I think will move inside (laughs) of our top 50 starting pitchers. I want to give an oh-my-goodness-gracious shout-out to Wilson Guterres, his first game back in Chicago as a member of the Cardinals. Obviously, we spoke about... His whole kind of, you know, playing DH moving forward debacle on yesterday's podcast. But, you know, he taunted the crowd a few times there in Chicago. He's having some fun. He went two for four with a double and two RBI in that game. He had a batted ball. one seventeen point five exit velocity. The hardest of his career. So, hopefully this is something that can, I don't know, help Wilson Contreras get going. Because he hasn't been bad, but he hasn't necessarily been very good either.
0: So, uh,
1: hopefully this can help. I think that was...
0: I think that was the third hardest hit ball in the majors this year, too.
1: I'm sure it's up there because yeah, the one, only
0: one of the top four that didn't result in a homer.
1: One seventeen point five. Yeah, that's it, it was a ground ball, so it's like it was a ground out. It's, right. It didn't really matter for anything. But again, just you know, seeing that level of uh, max exit velocity. Okay.
0: So it was the it was the fourth hard, hardest hit ball. The the three hardest hit balls this year: Matt Olson, Jake Berger, Giancarlo Stanton. All three of those were home runs. Wilson Contreras, a ground out. But still, I mean, the fact you hit a ball that hard, that's not something everybody can do.
1: Let's stick in Chicago, Scott, and have this Dylan Cease conversation. What is going on? He goes into the Royals and has another pretty bad start. That is now four bad starts in a row for Dylan Cease. He allowed seven earned runs, over five innings pitched, six strikeouts. Actually kept the walks down in this one. Only one walk total, but allowed a lot of hard contact. Ten hard hits, 92.3 mile per hour average exit velocity against, and like the other pitchers we've mentioned so far, the velocity was actually up a little bit for Dylan Cease in this one. On the season, he is up to a 5.58 ERA, a 151 whip, still getting lots of strikeouts, but what has gone wrong? Well, the swinging strike rate is actually down three, nearly three percentage points. The walks are up from 3.8 walks per nine last year, 4.5 this year, and Something that I know if Chris was here, he would point out is, and you already mentioned it for uh, when we were talking about, who was it? Justin Steele. That average exit velocity for a a pitcher, it's it's not really sticky. It's kind of hard to maintain like year over year. And it takes a long time for for something like that to kind of normalize for a pitcher. Last year, Dylan Cease was really good at limiting hard contact. This year, It's gone the other way once again. He's all the way up to like 91 mile per hour exit velocity against. The up is up. The home home runs are slightly up. It's got everything that you can imagine going wrong for Dylan Cease in the overall numbers. It, It looks like it is all kind of coming together right now.
0: Yeah, you mentioned his velocity was up in this start relative to his season averages. But if you compare it to last season... I, I mean, his his overall velocities this year are basically down one mile per hour from last season. It was better in this start, but overall, it's been down on both the fastball and slider, which might correspond to the, the lower swinging strike rate, considerably lower swinging strike rate, as you mentioned. I, I can't help but wonder, and obviously, I, I'm, there's an implication with this that certain players are skirting the rules or whatever and so I don't I don't mean to accuse anybody of that without a uh, basis for it but there's supposedly a crackdown of sticky substances this year unlike ever before because players kept getting around it so they keep they keep uh coming up with new ways to check in the hopes of finally getting a handle on it and you look at the swinging strike rate being way down for Dylan Cease and Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns and a lot of high-end pitchers. Again, I'm not accusing any one of them of anything, but when there is an, a, a, there there seems to be a widespread effect there. Uh, you you can't help but wonder if there's if, if it's related to that, especially since you know when it, when it was immediately enforced. When was that? The summer of 2021. When they, when they first started checking for it. There was at the high ends, the pitchers at the high end seemed to be the ones who suffered the most from that because their stuff wasn't quite as otherworldly anymore. They, they weren't separating themselves as much from the pack anymore when they had less grip. And that might explain lapses in control too. I don't know. It's just a theory. It's just a theory. Um, but ultimately with Cease, I mean, there's there are a lot of there are a lot of concerning signs here that, uh, you know, obviously, if, if it, if it lasts all season, it's probably an issue. I think it's too early to assume it's going to last all season. I mean, I, if somebody's freaking out about Dylan Cease right now, I'd be more likely to buy than sell. But like, he's, he's kind of, uh, there are a lot of annoying qualities in there. That's why we all had him as a bust candidate coming in, because it just seems like there's a lot that could go wrong with them, as overpowering as his arsenal is, as uh, much strikeout potential as he has, and we're seeing that come into play now. It's probably just a rough patch, but it may not be.
1: Look, if you could buy low, like really low, I guess it's something worth looking into, because obviously we all saw the the upside for Dylan Sees last season, but... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm just living in the moment too much, Scott. But I, I'm I am pretty worried about this. And and like you said, we all kind of had him as a bus this year. And I threw something out into the universe. Like this could look like the like a Robbie Ray disaster type season. And it's it's kind of playing out that way right now, where the the walks are up, the hard contact, the home runs, and everything's coming together. And it's just been like a really bad combination so far for uh, Dylan Cease. He's going up against the Astros this weekend and. I think we have to recalibrate our expectations for the Astros' offense right now, because if you look at their overall numbers this year, they really haven't been good, so it's not a terrible matchup for Dylan Cease, but I think what he does in that matchup will kind of determine whether or not we want to start him next week when he goes up against the Kansas City Royals once again. Speaking of the Royals, they put up 12 runs in that game on 14 hits, and... Uh, I had a listener send me this tweet from Dave Holtzman who works with the Royals TV and he tweeted out the Royals have hit an AL most 13 home runs in the month of May 11 of them including MJ Melendez's home run on Monday have traveled over 400 feet which is the most in baseball during that time so again speaking of recalibrating our thoughts like all right this Royals offense is kind of coming around and they're hitting a bunch of home runs and
0: yeah, so maybe they're not as easy as a matchup as as we thought. I mean, who is an easy? Like, if we can't consider the Royals an easy matchup, then there's no easy matchup. They're 26th and runs scored.
1: Well, yeah, I, I had Tigers fans tweeting I, at me, I, Scott, that apparently the Tigers you can't you can't start pitchers against them either. So
0: the Tigers, who are 29th and runs <laughs> scored, and you know somebody was saying the same thing about the A's, who are 25th and runs scored. I think it's just that in this offensive environment, there there are no sure things. The A's are gonna score 10 runs. Sometimes the Royals are going to score. How many runs was it tonight? 12. Yeah. Like it's going to happen sometimes. And it's going to happen against good pitchers sometimes. And of course that was always true, but we're in an even more volatile state here with, with pitching, with all the rule changes meant to disadvantage pitchers. And and so like there, there are no sure things, maybe emphasize matchups less when you're setting your line. It's just as a general rule, like that, I'm not saying ignore them but when you're uh, going through your criteria of what makes for of who to start who to sit from your pitching options maybe put the match up a little lower in criteria because it's they're all volatile
1: I appreciate that you're being really rational tonight Scott and it's it's a good balance because I'm actually kind of trending closer to where you've been in the past couple of weeks where I'm just I'm really frustrated about baseball and <laughs> fantasy baseball. So, like, you're going back the other way, and now I'm yeah, I'm taking yeah, over your role. It's, and, it's
0: over for me. I might uh. as well just just put on my analyst hat. No, yeah. I mean, like, it, it's really a stark contrast between my rotisserie leagues and my head-to-head leagues because my head-to-head leagues are going about like they normally do. You know, I'm yeah. pretty competitive in all of them. It's too early to say where I'm going to wind up, but I'm, I'm competitive. Oh. I'm, I'm very much in the, the thick of things, I think, in all of my head-to-head leagues. But the roto league's just been disaster. I'm in I'm in last place, last place in several of them. And hopefully I don't stay there, but it's it's hard to have hope that I'm going to at this point come all come all the way back and finish first in anything that I've been in last place in all this time. And I don't know exactly I I don't, I don't know how to make sense of that. I'm still uh, like what what caused that to happen in that one format type versus the other?
1: Oh, I could um, I could tell you exactly what it was, Scott. Do you, you remember your, your strategy coming into the season was to wait on pitching because you thought that it would be more like last year's environment versus this year's environment. And yeah, I mean, like, you know, A, there's not much great pitching to go around in general, but like, yeah, I guess if you waited well, on pitching and didn't wind up with like so-called aces, then that probably well, has something well, to do with it.
0: I mean, it may have. I'm, I'm not discounting the possibility. You, you do think of pitching as being a bigger factor in head-to-head points leagues traditionally than Roto leagues, but I've, I've, always, I, I, I've always kind of disputed that anyway because, yes, you're starting fewer in a Roto league, but there's a higher threshold that needs to be met for a quality Roto pitcher versus a quality head-to-head pitcher a quality start is always going to be really good in a points league, even though it tr- may translate to a 450 ERA. Correct. You know? <laughs> Just to give one example. So there is that, but my Roto leagues, by and large, it's the hitting. It's the hitting categories where I'm struggling more than the pitching categories.
1: Well, then... I don't know what to tell you, <laughs> Scott, because that was my... Because I invested pretty
0: heavily in yeah, hitting, right? That was my hypothesis, so uh, yeah. I, I, do, <laughs> I do wonder if it might be more the issue with rookies letting us down. Like, I invested in a lot of rookies. That's true. I remember a and lot of You your have drafts. to go deeper into the hitting pool in a rotisserie league, much deeper. So you can't afford to miss as much mm-hmm. on your, you know, 7th, 8th, ninth. 10th hitters drafted as yeah. you can in a head-to-head league. Like it's just just the fact that you have to fill out more roster spots. And I may have missed on a higher percentage of those because I was, you know, playing by the old standards of okay, this guy's gonna come up and he's going to be as good as he can be basically right away, which wasn't universally true, but it was true much more often than it's been this year and really the past couple years. So I, I just my theory right now, and it, it may be a few factors. I mean, the pitching thing may have something to do with it too, but my theory right now is that I needed, uh, I, I need to be more rigid in how I approach my mid-late-round targets in roto leagues where there's less to fall back on on the waiver wire.
1: Mm-hmm. So higher floor plays, maybe don't gamble as much in those middle rounds is uh that's our yeah. main night take we'll, uh, we'll and, and
0: we'll, just fade rookies in general like not saying don't draft any of them but maybe only draft one or two and only if the value is exceptional
1: yeah uh, all right, well, that's that's our take so far on the season. We'll uh, keep you updated throughout the rest of the year. Let's get back to the Royals. Uh, I talked about how their offense kind of went off in this one against Dylan Cease. Bobby Witt Jr. went 2-for-5 with two steals. He's now up to 10 on the season. MJ Melendez went 2-for-5 with his fourth home run. I want to stop there. I have one other name I want to talk about, but uh, MJ Melendez so far, Scott. I know you were not really on this year. I liked him definitely more than you did. He is batting just two oh eight. It's weird because there's like some good and there's definitely some bad like low batting average. The strikeout rate is way up this year. The swinging strike rate also way up this season, hitting lots of fly balls. So fly balls that aren't going out. It's going to lead to a lower uh, a lower BABIP, lower batting average and strikeouts on top of that explains why MJ Melendez is batting 208. With that being said when he makes contact, he is hitting the ball extremely hard, 97th percentile in average exit velocity, 88th percentile in barrel rate. What are your early season thoughts on MJ Melendez, and uh, are you, would you be looking to buy him right now?
0: Uh, I Yeah, I mean, I guess. If, if it's a two-catcher league, I mean, one-catcher leagues I'm probably pretty happy with whomever. I'm starting a catcher already, so it just doesn't seem like a high priority. But in two-catcher leagues, it's more likely his stats go up from here than down but I do think we're seeing a lot of the same issues he had last year you know it was kind of a trendy pick uh because you know a, a lot of the data look great the Statcast page looked great for MJ Melendez but he only hit what 215 something like that I think he's he's really damaged by his home park I mean you look at his expected home runs by venue most of them are at five or six when he only has three home runs um, so that hurts. And I just think uh between the strikeouts and the launch angle and everything, he he's his own worst enemy with batting average. So I don't feel confident that he's going to meet top 10 upside this year. But in a two-catcher league, sure, you can probably get him for pretty cheap right now.
1: The other name I had written down here, Scott, is Nick Prado, who... No former top ish prospect for the Royals. He definitely had some pedigree. He went two for three with a double, a walk and three RBI in that game. And he's betting 357 early on, but also comes with a lot of strikeouts and a lot of line drives. So it's definitely a weird kind of approach. You don't really see that very often. Uh, Any thoughts on Nick Prado? Should he be added anywhere?
0: I am not super optimistic about him. The strikeouts have been a huge issue, both between the majors and the minors. Really, it's, it was just that amazing 2021 breakout season in the minors that uh, was, that, that's basically the only reason for enthusiasm with him, and he took a big step back last year. And I just, I need to see a lot more than this, to think of him as a fantasy asset beyond, like, AL only leagues.
1: All right, fair enough. Let's take our first break. When we return, we got a whole bunch of news and no's to talk about here on Fantasy Baseball Today The UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus is down to the final four teams and two epic semifinal matchups. Kareem Benzema and defending champs Real Madrid take on Erling Haaland and tournament favorite Manchester City in a rematch of last year's thrilling semifinal. Plus, it's a clash of Italian titans as Inter squares off against AC Milan in a battle for City bragging rights. Find out which clubs will reach the ultimate goal in soccer's greatest yearly competition. Stream every Champions League semifinal match live exclusively on Paramount+. Try it free at paramountplus.com slash sports. And if you're watching us live on YouTube, you can uh, whip out your phone scan that QR code in the top right corner. That will also take you to uh, the Paramount Plus app where you can sign up for free. All right, Scott, let's talk about some of the news. And of course, the uh, the bad news from Monday was that Mason Miller is headed back to the Bay Area to be evaluated after feeling tightness in his right elbow following Sunday's start. Manager Mark Kotze said the initial suspicion is that Miller is dealing with a flexor muscle issue and that they're hoping for the best. So... Uh, at least we had that great two-star week last week.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't... They don't sound terribly optimistic, do they? No. I mean, elbow tightness just in general sounds like it could be a small issue, but they don't sound terribly optimistic. And there were a lot of... We hardly knew... We hardly knew Ye takes <laughs> on Twitter for Mason Miller. And uh, that's a shame. I mean, if if you're in a shallow league and you just picked him up because his roster rate is below 80% still, I think... Then it's probably okay to go ahead and swap them out if you need to. In an ideal world, you'd wait to hear exactly what the diagnosis is first, but you you may not be able to wait that long. And I'm not that optimistic. And I was not I was not fully sold on Mason Miller as a major fantasy asset anyway, given the team context, given that I mean, for as good as his stuff is, the strikeouts were had been kind of underwhelming so far. Uh, I think it's OK to move on if you need to
1: last week really did impress me with uh, Mason Miller. One thing that surprised me was how quick the A's were to push him and pushes his, push his pitch counts, especially someone who's dealt with injuries in the minor leagues as well. So perhaps that's something that contributed to this. Obviously, he throws like 100 miles per hour. So that's probably something that can't be great for your elbow. Yeah, the news is not looking very good for Mason Miller. Not looking great for Max Scherzer either, Scott, who apparently admitted he's still pitching with discomfort below his right scapula, and he first injured his shoulder last month and had his start pushed back. Of course, he had that you know 10-game suspension for the sticky substances as well, but he never went on the IL, and I just can't really imagine anything good coming of this, Scott. Scherzer admitting that he's pitching through this shoulder thing, the velocity, the spin rates were down in his most recent start, he got rocked by the Tigers. You know those pesky Tigers, Scott. Um, so, given his age too, like I'm actually pretty worried about this for Scherzer.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm gonna when I do my big rankings overhaul tomorrow, I'm gonna move him down quite a bit.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, still in the top twenty, I think. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm worried about it. I I imagine I imagine he's either going to go on the IL soon or he, he's he's going to injure himself worse and also go on the IL soon. Like either way, it feels like an IL stint is coming.
1: Yeah, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a Yankee fan. I'm like a Mets hater or anything, but man, it's just. Not how just many, that. How many years in a row, Scott, can we just, it just feels like with the Mets, what can go yeah. wrong will go wrong every single year. It's like, frankly, I feel bad for them, but. Uh, what are you going to do? I'm hoping for the best when it comes to Max Scherzer. We had a promotion on Monday, Scott. Christopher Morrell promoted by the Cubs, and then turns out he wasn't in the lineup. So, <laughs> not really sure why they promoted him, but he was yeah. crushing it in the minors. He hit 330 down there, 11 homers, 31 runs, 31 RBI, four steals, and 1155 OPS. Still striking out a lot. Uh, 21% roster has second base and outfield eligibility. Something that might help him get in the lineup is uh, that Nico Horner left Monday's game with hamstring tightness. So perhaps that's the uh, opening that Christopher Morel needs here.
0: Yeah, could be. Uh, and, and he's like, he can play anywhere but catcher. So he could pick up eligibility at, at more positions than second base and outfield, even. Though if he is filling in for Horner, obviously that would be second base. I am skeptical of. Christopher Morrell, it it seems like the Cubs are too, given that they sent him back to the minors in the first place and they kept him there for as long as they did, even while he was slashing 330, 425, 730. You can't ask for much better numbers than that, but they left him there that long. They brought him up and didn't put him in the lineup right away, as you said, Frank. You said his his strikeout rate was still high in the minors. It was over 30% against minor league pitchers. And that was what ultimately doomed him in the majors last year because remember he came up on fire and he was a popular pickup in fantasy for a few weeks and then he just cratered and didn't end up playing that much. The the longer the season went, the less Christopher Morel played. And uh, I'm not sure anything has changed for him since he's still striking out more than 30% of the time against minor leaguers. 15-team league, uh, maybe even a 12-team Roto League, Roto league where you have all those lineup spots to fill. Let's say more than 320 players rostered. Christopher Morel's probably worth picking up, just in case, because there's a lot of power, there's a lot of speed there, and if he puts it all together, it could be a real prize. But I doubt he's going to.
1: Mm -hmm. That's exactly what I was thinking. 12-team Roto Leagues are deeper, where you have the middle infield spot, five outfield spots, Maybe you know catches fire a little bit here and gets an opportunity to play given this recent injury to uh, Nico Horner We'll see what happens with that worth pointing out for Morel last year Obviously interesting power and speed he had 16 home runs and 10 steals and 425 plate appearances 88th percentile max exit velocity 88th percentile sprint speed so there is legitimate power and speed there Will he make enough contact? That is the question. Other news and notes, Jose Altuve took live batting practice at AAA on Monday. He appears close to starting up a rehab assignment. Corey Seager is expected to begin a rehab assignment this Thursday. Nolan Arenado was scratched due to neck stiffness, and frankly, if that's something he's been playing with, might explain why the numbers look as bad as they do. Luis Ortiz is expected to start for the Pirates on Tuesday, going up against the Rockies. And in seven starts in the minors this year, a 2.23 ERA, .96 whip, 29 strikeouts, over 32 and a third innings pitched here, Scott. Uh, Big velocity, pretty good breaking pitch as well. Only 10% rostered. Any interest in Luis Ortiz of the Pirates?
0: I don't think it's a rush out and add him right away situation, but he is interesting. He was, uh, I, I debated putting him in my preseason top 100 prospects. And it didn't seem like anybody else was. So I, I feel like I'm higher on him than the consensus, than the, the the prospect community in general. He did during his time up last year have a 13.1% swinging strike rate. It was pretty impressive. And he has good ground ball generating skills, which I think is still a good thing. Uh, so definitely somebody to keep an eye on is Luis Ortiz. But it's, it's more of a prove-it situation, I think, than than, uh, than like when, uh, uh, <laughs> I would say when Brandon Fott was called up, but obviously that, that didn't go well. Like he's not, he's not that same level of prospect though.
1: Yeah, that is true. And, uh, I misspoke recently. I said that Luis Ortiz had RP eligibility on CBS. He does not. It's only a starting pitcher eligibility there. Travis Darno was activated from the seven day concussion IL on Monday, Interested to see what that does for uh, Marcelo Zuna's playing time moving forward. Alex Wood could return to the Giants rotation later this week. Carlos Carrasco will make a rehab start at AA on Tuesday. Yoan Moncada remains on his rehab assignment at AAA and could be back with the White Sox this weekend. Ramon Laureano left Monday's game after making a great catch in right field. He was later placed in concussion protocol. Chaz McCormick was activated by the Astros and was batting seventh in the lineup. J.P. Crawford was scratched with knee discomfort. Jose Suarez was placed on the IL with a left shoulder injury. That means there's a good chance Chase Silseth will take his spot in the rotation. Ryan Yarbrough was placed on the IL after a scary injury on Sunday. He took a line drive off of the face, luckily able to walk off under his own power. So thankfully, it doesn't sound like it could have been a lot worse. I was watching that game. Mason Miller was pitching on the other side. It was it was pretty scary stuff. So sounds like Ryan Yarbrough, uh, for the most part, is okay. It's good news for him. Scott, a prospect note I wanted to mention to you. There are rumors floating around on the Twitter sphere that the Mets are going to call up prospect Ronnie Mauricio in the coming days and in 33 games at AAA this season, he was batting 333 with 6 homers, 6 steals, a 951 OPS, and he's always produced big power and speed in the minors, but batting average has usul- usually been lacking for him. Anything we need to know about Mauricio and uh, would you be looking to add him anywhere?
0: Uh, deeper leagues, I, I would say he's less of a priority than Christopher Morell. It would probably be a similar role, kind of a super utility role for the Mets. But there are major plate discipline issues for Ronnie Mauricio. The guy doesn't walk at all. And even though he's had great success at AAA this year, I imagine major leaguers probably be able to exploit that, especially you know in his first look in the league. But there is big power there. And um, if he does find his way into close to every day at bats, then Ronnie Mauricio might be somebody who has some value. I'm just
1: trying to figure it out. Like, can lineup or roster construction wise, how is he going to make it into the Mets lineup right now? I mean, we know he's not playing shortstop, um, we know he's not playing third base because Brett Beatty is playing there. I guess he could play second and they move Jeff McNeil to like a corner outfield spot, something like
0: that. Um, I- it, it might be a situation where they just move them all over the place and give each of those guys a day off at DH. Cause they have Ryan, they have a uh, Daniel Vogelbach. I forgot his first name, <laughs> primarily playing DH and, and you know, he's not adding much. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't think it's a situation where Mauricio is going to play every day, but you know that super utility role where the guy plays a lot yeah. and just kind of gives everybody a day off here and there.
1: I'm looking at his uh, games played by position in the minors. This is Ronnie Mauricio, a prospect for the Mets we're talking about. He hasn't played in the outfield either. It's just been second base and shortstop, so it, it kind of just feels like he's a middle infielder. Um, so yeah, my best guess, again, is like second base and they move McNeil Well, they were
0: wanting to give him more exposure to positions I guess if I guess that hasn't happened. So yep. I guess, I don't know, surprising that they would choose now to call him up, if that's even true, because you're saying it's a rumor, right?
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not confirmed yet, but I had multiple people tag me in tweets on Monday and uh, different sources, so it, it seems like there's some smoke there. Ronnie Mauricio, again, that's the name to pay attention to. Uh, we'll see what happens.
0: Uh, I, I do need to give Daniel Vogelbach a little more credit than I just gave him, because he, he only has two home runs, so I'm thinking, oh, he's not doing anything. He has reached base at a three ninety eight clip, which is pretty valuable. So maybe they will continue to play him.
1: Gosh, he is such an interesting player. Anyway, let's get into a few waiver wire hitters. Do any of these names matter for Fantasy Scott? We'll quickly run through some of them. Uh Riley Green, seemingly, you know, since we talked about him, we had that long conversation recently. He's kind of come around. He went two for four with a double, his fourth steal and two RBI on Monday. He had two batted balls over 108 mile per hour exit velocity. And over his last 12 games, he's batting 354, one homer, two steals, tons of line drives. Also a 64% ground ball rate during that time. Uh, he's down to 67% rostered. Scott, does, uh,
0: does Riley Green matter right now for fantasy? He is heating up. I don't think he's heating up enough to win me over again yet. And it's kind of the same thing for Ezekiel Tovar of the Rockies. Was also, heating up after doing nothing in April, but it's just like it's not quite hot enough. And in, in, in Riley Green's case, there's still the issue of all the ground balls, not quite enough to win me over.
1: Mm-hmm. What about Joey Weimer, who went two for three with a double and his third home run? Batting average is low, but is providing some power and speed. Not hitting the ball hard, lots of ground balls. Does Joey Weimer matter right now?
0: Well. It matters that I sat him this week in some of those five outfielder leagues where I'd been starting him basically every week. I finally sit him, and right. he has a four RBI game. So thanks for that, Joey Weimer. <laughs> like, I like that his strikeout rate, because strikeouts were the big issue in the minors, and it's been fine. It's been about 22%, I think, which is fine. It's pretty good, actually, for a rookie especially. But... uh just doesn't seem to be squaring up the ball often enough to 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 do much at the plate. Certainly squared up that home run today, so hopefully that that uh sparks something for Weimer.
1: I just checked my lone league where I have Joey Weimer as well. TGFBI a 15 team roto league. On the bench in favor yep. of uh Jesse Winker, who I left in my lineup for some reason. I mean, <laughs> they both haven't been good, but gosh. what a It's what really
0: a hard to fill out a five-man outfield in those 15-team leagues. Not great. So hard.
1: Not great. Uh, on the same team, Scott, Tyron Taylor went two for four with his second steal. He's 95th percentile in sprint speed. Last year, he hit 17 home runs with three steals. Does Tyron Taylor matter at all? I'm going to say nah. Okay. What about Gavin Sheets? He went one for three with his fourth home run. We know... Eloy Jimenez is going to be out for the next four to six weeks. It's back-to-back games with a home run for Gavin Sheets. What do you think on him?
0: I don't think much of him either. He has... In in 2021, for the time he was up, he looked like he might be a contributor. But the exit velocities aren't that impressive. And I think think you'd have to be in a pretty desperate spot to turn to him right now.
1: This next one is mostly for one-catcher leagues. He's definitely not available in two-catcher leagues. Gabriel Moreno went three-for-three three with an RBI and a steal. He is now batting 318 for the Diamondbacks, but just one home run. Still lots of ground balls, lots of line drives, but it's kind of empty batting average. got 47% rostered. Does Gabriel Moreno matter in one-catcher leagues?
0: I mean, he's outside the top 12 for me. Yeah. So... You know, I'm I'm sure there will be times this year when he matters, when enough catchers are hurt. But right now, I would say he, in one catcher leagues, most one catcher leagues, he can probably deserve, he can probably be on waivers. Okay,
1: let's double dip with the Nationals. And uh, Lane Thomas went three, three for five and quietly is picking it up. He's now batting three eighty on the season with three home runs and three steals. Joey Meneses went two for four with a run in RBI. He's batting two eighty-three. But just two home runs, a 6.73 OPS. So, like we said with Gabriel Moreno, kind of empty batting average. Scott, uh, do either of those names matter? Lane Thomas, Joey Manessis.
0: I, I I'm more inclined to say they do because of all the five outfielder leagues, but they're pretty low end. They're like I'm. They're they're in the same category as Joey Weimer for me.
1: Yeah. All right. Let's take our final break, and when we return, uh, some kind of random pitching performances. Tanner Bybee got knocked around by the Tigers. Uh, John Gray had his best start of the season. Actually, something really interesting in that start that I want to get to, and we'll talk about it right after this. Big thank you to those watching us live on YouTube right now. It is past 1 a.m. Eastern time. We've got 500 people watching us live. So we do appreciate you being here. And uh, hit that like button if you haven't already. We really do appreciate it. What do we make of these performances, Scott? We'll kind of just go one by one, little rapid fire. Tanner Bybee knocked around by the Tigers. He gave up four earned runs, seven hits, four walks. Just could not command his fastball. I, was, I watched a lot of this start. He just really did not have it in this one. Gave up some hard contact as well. What'd you see from uh, tanner bybee on monday
0: i mean i'm gonna give him a pass for it as good as he looked in his first two starts him going from zero walks in those first two outings which was more in line with his minor league track record to having four walks in this start uh, it, it it did seem like it was just off uh i noticed also his slider in particular got hit hard and so he was throwing it less. He was throwing more curveballs. So it's interesting to see him incorporate more of his arsenal because arsenal, he was mainly just fastball slider in his first two outings. But, I mean, I, I don't have any huge takeaways from this. I'd stand firm with Bybee if you pick them up.
1: Okay. Nester Cortez was just okay up against the Oakland A's. He went five innings, two runs, four strikeouts, six hits, and two walks. You know, the whip wasn't great in this one. Allowed... A decent amount of hard contact, eight hard hits in this one. The ERA, all of a sudden, Scott is up to 4.74, the whip 1.24. And I noticed the fly ball rate, while it was high last year, it's like way high for Nestor Cortez, 65%. He's giving up more home runs. The up is up. So kind of feels like he's getting dinged by this new environment as well. Uh, are you actually worried about Nestor Cortez at all?
0: A little bit, just because he's such a... I don't know. This this will sound unkind, but he's such a gimmicky pitcher uh, that that maybe the trick doesn't work anymore. That's what I'd worry about with him. But the data still looks strong. I mean, his his expected ERA coming into this start is three twenty six. Yeah. Even though the the actual ERA is close to five, the quality of contact remains pretty low, pretty favorable for Cortez. The swinging strike rate very similar to last year the outings have been short and they've been pretty shaky recently, but I'd, I'd stand firm with him too.
1: John Gray just had his best start of the season at the Mariners, seven innings of one run ball, eight strikeouts, to zero walks, 20 swinging strikes on 89 pitches. And 10 of those came on a slider, which was up four miles per hour in this start compared to where it was. He averaged 87.5 miles per hour on a slider. Yet the spin rate was down over a hundred RPM, Scott. So, I can't really explain it. I don't really know what was going on, but it was a tremendous pitch in this one, and that comes after four straight starts where John Gray had exactly two strikeouts in each of those starts. So, I, yeah,
0: I, don't, really I don't know, know how what to got into it. him. Yeah, I don't know what got into him. I don't know what got into the slider. Uh, I, I usually you can find insights on Twitter, whether from a beat writer or some data head who has something to say about, it, and I could not find anything uh, about. John Gray slider in this, whether it was being misclassified or what, what he was doing differently to get it to be up four miles per hour. But yeah, he got half of his 20 whiffs on it and it seems like it'll be a formula for success for him. His he's up to 79% rostered already. Mm -hmm. He was one of my sleeper pitchers for this week. I think he got added in a bunch of leagues because he lined up for two starts. But if the second start goes anything like this first start, then obviously he's going to be more than just a streamer for you.
1: Yep, and uh, on the other side of that star, Logan Gilbert actually took a perfect game into the seventh inning and then kind of faltered in that final inning of work. Six and two-thirds, two runs allowed, 10 strikeouts, which was a season high, 12 swinging strikes on 91 pitches, and uh, like the other names we mentioned, the you know velocity up a little bit across the board here for Logan Gilbert, 379 ERA, .99 whip on the season, 11.2K per nine, 1.8 walks per nine, and Scott, if you buy that strikeout-to-walk ratio for Logan Gilbert, then you can make the case that he's actually a, a buy-high right now. I, I don't know that he's being valued the way
0: that he should be. His expected ERA entering this star was 286. Pretty good. So that that suggests also that he is he's actually underachieved so far. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that I'd go that far, but there's no reason to sell on him. That's for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. And lastly, a weird stat line for Anthony Descalfani up against the Nationals, right? Good start. It's against the Nats, right? Nope. You know nothing, Frank Stanfield. Seven innings, two hits, five earned runs, three strikeouts. He gave up all five runs in the first and then settled down after that. He gave up 13 hard hits in this one and obviously is pitching more to contact this year, Scott. Um, I don't know. (laughs) Any thoughts on Anthony Descalfani?
0: Well, it's funny because I thought I thought he was having his Graham Ashcraft moment where I was writing up this this article about these pitchers to sell high on, and I was Anthony Desclafani was going to be in it, uh, and then he allowed five earned runs in the first inning to the Nationals, and it's like, oh great, I'm going to have to take him out now. <laughs> but uh, but then he was great for the next six innings. That was the only damage off of him, and so you look at his numbers for the year still has a 280 ERA, still has a 0.93 whip. So I'm happy that I still get to call him a sell high candidate because I don't think he's actually this good.
1: Yeah, and if you're trying to figure out how De Scofani has made it this far with the numbers this good, only four walks all season. So I think that's something that's likely to regress uh, moving forward as well. A few leftovers here will... Uh, Point out a few pitching standouts, the studs on the mound on Monday night. Shane McClanahan, Shane O'Mac. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talks. Here comes the money. He was at the Orioles and he threw six shutout with seven strikeouts in that one. Two earned runs or fewer in all eight starts this season. A 176 ERA, a 1-1-3 whip for Shane McClanahan. Zach Allen, another great outing up against uh, the Marlins. Seven innings, one run, seven strikeouts for him. Scott, anything to add on uh, Shane O'Mac or Zach Allen?
0: I mean, McClanahan might be the actual best pitcher in fantasy. I'm not ready to elevate him there in my rankings. We're going to keep Garrett Cole ahead of him, at least. Largely because of durability issues. But, in, in some ways, McClanahan seems to have gotten better from last year. And he was already pretty dang awesome. So, kudos if you have him. Zach Gallen? Yeah, nice bounce-back start. He's having a great year as well. Kudos if you have him. All these kudos. <laughs> Not quite studs, but very useful pitching performances.
1: Freddy Peralta keeps it rolling up against the Dodgers. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts for him. 14 swinging strikes on 94 pitches. And Marcus Stroman now has a quality start in seven of eight outings this season. Up against the Cardinals, six innings, two runs, six strikeouts for him. And uh, he actually changed up the pitch mix a little bit. He... Lean into his slurve more in this one. He used it 34% of the time. And um, yeah, if it, if he does that more moving forward, he could wind up with more swinging strikes and more whiffs. And that's exactly what happened in this one. Any thoughts on Peralta or Stroman?
0: Uh, I mean, Stroman, the consistency of the quality starts, 7 of 8. He only had... Uh, let's see, I looked this up before the show. Stroman last year only had... 12 starts where he went six plus innings. And he already has seven this year. And that was my big hesitation with him coming into the year was just that, okay, if if this non-strikeout pitcher isn't even going to give you volume, then what's the point? Well, he's been great so far. And uh, I mean, he may be a sell high in the most technical sense, but he's a pretty good pitcher. I, I wouldn't mind just holding on to him.
1: Mm-hmm. I made the case earlier in the season that uh, Marcus Stroman is a buy high and uh, yeah, he probably would have to buy a little bit higher now. So I don't know that I'd want to do that. But uh, yeah, I'm just going to continue to point out the Cubs Cubs pitching staff and their defense. And look at what Drew Smiley has done this year. Like even was not getting whiffs, He's, you know, kind of turned it around a little bit. So I'm just a little bit more bullish on those guys. Not really sure what to do with these names, Scott, but uh, they did pitch pretty well on Monday. Kyle Freeland, uh, seven innings, two runs, four strikeouts at the Pirates. Kyle Gibson, of course, of course, Scott. I, you know, I started him, <laughs> I started him last week up mm-hmm. against the Royals. Who, again, they've played a little bit better recently. And uh, oh, the
0: Royals I, and the Tigers, and uh,
1: yep. And I dropped Kyle the- Gibson in my main event league, most important league. I'm like, nope, there's no way not starting him against Tampa Bay. Six innings, two runs, four strikeouts for Kyle Gibson.
0: Matchups are irrelevant. That's (sighs) what we're learning here today. So frustrating. I wouldn't go that far, but.
1: Yeah. And then Jake Irvin, he had a strong start at the Giants. Six and a third shutout for five strikeouts and five strikeouts. For those who aren't aware, he pitches for the Washington Nationals. Uh, Scott, anything on those three? Jake Irvin, Kyle Gibson, and Kyle Freeland.
0: I mean, we pretty much. Covered the most interesting angle there with Gibson. I am still not buying into Kyle Freeland in the slightest.
1: Fair enough. Some hitting leftovers. Este Ruiz, another strong game. He went two for five with a double and his 17th steal. He is now up to a 277 batting average on the season. And he's also up to 75% rostered. So people are listening, Scott, because uh, they're picking him up. Josh Lowe went one for four with his seventh home run. Willie Adamas went one for four with a three run homer. That's back to back-to-back games with a home run for him. Taylor Ward is coming back around. He had three hits on Monday over his last seven games. He's batting 407 with a home run, six runs scored, and five RBI. And Christian Walker is also hot. He got off to a slow start. He's batting two... Uh, he went two for four with his ninth home run. And
0: I think I saw the batting average is now up over two eighty for Walker. So, yep. Uh, Expected stats look similar to last year. The average exit yes. velocity is down a little, but it's it's been... It's been up to last year's standards basically since mid-April for Christian Walker. So he seems to be the real deal. And just a little bit of clarity on Estuary Ruiz. I don't think he's actually that good of a hitter. Uh, Like he needs to, he probably needs to be rostered in, in most every format at this point because he, with all those steals, he's top 15 outfielder in points leagues even. But, he has to sustain what is this like an eighty steal pace? Which <laughs> I mean, maybe he could do. He, if, he he stole more than eighty <laughs> bases in the minors last year. I was gonna say if but, there's anyone that could do it, it would be him. Yeah, it's uh, you're you're counting on him being a Michael Bourne play like player, which is at this point there's probably a lot of people listening who don't even remember what <laughs> Michael Bourne was like in fantasy, but he stole so many bases that he was a worthy starter even in points leagues. Despite not having any power whatsoever, not nearly as good of a defender as Bourne, but I don't think the A's care much about that. Yeah. Uh, so, so like, don't don't put too much faith in Ruiz, but you can't ignore what he's doing either.
1: Uh, I'm a little bit more of the uh, the Billy Hamilton D Gordon era of uh, stolen base specialist well, That was, guys,
0: that, was so. that predated Bourne.
1: Is it? no? Is it? No, I feel like those guys uh, were after Michael Born.
0: D Gordon, yeah. Uh, OK, I, just, right. I
1: don't think we're going to get any power out of Estereo Ruiz. Like maybe it's like five to seven home runs, but the steals are legit. He like his average exit velocity is terrible. But according to fan graphs, he does hit a lot of line drives, 25 percent. So that's that's a really good number for a guy that's uh, going to steal a lot of bases. Hopefully so Michael
0: Bourne was like 2010. Yeah, I'd be. Billy Hamilton related that I mean, Billy Hamilton still playing now.
1: <laughs> I I have someone that asked me pretty often, like if they should pick up Billy Hamilton in the AL only league, if you need steals. Sure. Why not? It just <laughs> I don't think he's going to play very much or give you anything outside of like, I don't know, five to 10 steals the call to the bullpen. A few updates there for Tampa Bay. Jason Adam allowed a hit, but struck out three more. He picked up his fourth save and is 46 percent rostered. Not really sure where this pete fairbanks forearm injury is but man, like jason adam looks really really good so uh if if nothing uh, else yeah. if you have fairbanks on your team i would make sure to get jason adam as well
0: it, it sounds like fairbanks could be gearing up to return i saw an update today he played catch on sunday
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it looks like this this rotowire update was speculating that means he's close to Uh, maybe going on a rehab assignment. So it's still unknown, but it's it's not like he's shut down.
1: All right. For the Cardinals, Ryan Helsley recorded the final four outs for his fourth save. And for the Angels, Carlos Estevez struck out one for his eighth save. And all of a sudden, his numbers look ridiculously good. We're talking a low one ERA, a sub one whip, and Estevez has looked uh, really good. They
0: knew it all along.
1: They did. Let's wrap up them. with to stream or not to stream, Scott. And uh, we'll start with Tuesday here. Looking up and down the list.
0: Uh,
1: Jamison, Tyone, no. Brandon Fott versus the Barlins. I think I could get behind that one.
0: Yeah, but there were a couple when we did this yesterday that I liked more. I liked Andrew Heaney at Seattle more. And I liked Louis Varland against the Padres more, even though that's a tougher matchup. Yeah, it is. What have, what have we been saying all show, Frank?
1: That's if so matter. <laughs> uh, all right, so Varlin fought and uh, Heaney. I don't know if I want to trust Luis Ortiz in his first start, but the Rockies on the road, it's not terrible. On Wednesday, taking a look here, uh, Rich Hill versus the Rockies on the road. I think that's uh, potential. Pa- uh, Peyton Battenfield up against the Tigers, though the Tigers have been hitting. Uh, Josiah Gray at the Giants. I think that's probably my favorite. I think I'd
0: take Edward Cabrera at Arizona as my number one choice for Wednesday.
1: Diamondbacks are good, though, Scott.
0: Yeah. Uh, but- what what have we been saying? <laughs> Matchups don't matter, <laughs> yeah. so there you go. Uh, just- I mean, as long as he doesn't walk everybody. When he doesn't walk everybody, Edward Cabrera's
1: great. All right, here are my official three picks. Josiah Gray, Edward Cabrera, uh, Seth Lugo at the Twins. He's actually pitched well this year, and if you're in a deeper league or desperate, I think Battenfield and Rich Hill are okay. Let's wrap up with Team Name Tuesday. This is from an Apple podcast review from Mike. Mr. Heaney, the Christmas (laughs) Pooh.
0: So is that South Park? That is South Park, indeed. Okay. Uh,
1: Dr. Turk Torkelson. Hmm. I think it's that no. like Scrubs or something. I think so. Yeah, and then the last one. Stop looking at me, Quan. I think it's another. That- I think it's a line from. Is it Billy Madison? Stop looking at me, Swan. I think it's Billy Madison. It's an Alex Handler okay. movie. I mean, that's that's in your wheelhouse then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this person actually included where they're all from in, in the Apple podcast review, but I don't like to write them down because I don't want you to know where they're from, Scott. Uh, okay. <laughs> I like to keep the suspense I, I, I have
0: off. not seen Billy Madison before. That's when I've...
1: What? Scott, how can wa- we do a podcast off, right? together and you haven't seen Billy Madison?
0: Yeah. No. Uh, Sorry. All right. Sorry.
1: Well, I've got to I help. have
0: not made a point to watch Adam Sandler's entire catalog. Sorry. I've uh, seen I, quite a few of them, but not that one.
1: <laughs> I haven't seen his entire catalog. Anything after, <laughs> I don't know, like Click or Chuck and Larry, I, I probably haven't seen. Uh, this, These next two are from Dave. Never trust a fart. <laughs> it's like never trust a fart.
0: <laughs> Is that something people say? Yeah. Okay.
1: And uh, I fought when I'm nervous. <laughs> there's a lot of um, there's
0: a lot of Brandon fought ones today probably not the best use of thoughts name which by the way I think we're pronouncing it wrong slightly it's fought I think you're right fought. about that
1: it kind of sounds like the word thought
0: yeah like yeah. I fought the law and the law won yeah something like that I yeah. think you're right about that actually because
1: I remember hearing it and I'm like oh, they were saying it wrong this was from Neil can't buy be love Okay. Groshans of the Galaxy.
0: Boy, Groshans. <laughs> oh, Makes geez. an appearance. Okay.
1: Uh I don't walk a do your birdie work. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Hunter G- Weathers.
0: Like gatherers, but Hunter It's G- 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 a stretch. Weathers.
1: Okay. Uh Freddy Player Kwan.
0: Hmm. Like, I, that visually doesn't connect for me, but it, when you say it out loud, I get it. Okay.
1: Did you see the movie? I haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, it's not good. Not good? The not, <laughs> not a fan. The last I have, one have objections to it. The
1: last one from Neil is uh, Mervis of Steel. Cool. From Eric. Funk okay. Funk soul brother, Tyler Glass, now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Okay, that works. Uh, f- Thoughts, what she said.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. Uh, from Scott, not Scott White, love is a battenfield. field. All right. So from Alex, Vinnie, Vinnie P, baby. <laughs> Vinnie P, baby. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> uh, from mm. Bro, strand by me.
0: Uh huh. Strand by your man. Okay. Don't strand so close to me. I Man, it's only half the guy's name.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, and then he said, I know I missed Star Wars Day, but it was too funny not to send it to you guys. Scott will probably hate it, but Otani Juan Cano Be.
0: Otani. It's... Otani, like
1: Obi Wan Kenobi, yeah. Otani, right? Juan but
0: Otani adds too many syllables. Yeah, it does. I don't like it. You're I, right.
1: I like the ones that are so bad that they're good. It's it's kind of like the the John Sterling effect for
0: it's, me. It's the the Heath Cummings special
1: from Byron Mervis. Laughter. Oh, okay. And Mervis wreck. Actually, there's yeah. a lot of Mervis ones here.
0: Mervis. I B- I, I, I never thought about him <laughs> as a stand-in for nervous.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mervis breakdown. I was thinking, Okay. Don't be a Mervis Melly. Okay. Never Nervous Mervis. All right. Mervis as mm. a bat.
0: Yeah. And bundle of Mervs. So, Never Nervous Mervis. See, I have made the Purvis Ellison connection. And that was one of Purvis Ellison's nicknames, right? Never Nervous Purvis.
1: That's actually exactly what Byron pointed out as well.
0: Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: From Andrew, Dayman, Fighter of the Night Manoa. I think this is from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It's like Dayman, okay. Fighter of the Night, man,
0: something like that. I have seen just very, very few scattered episodes of that show. So,
1: from Dan, Sheets Burger Hap Emilio. Is this some kind of like Happy Meal? Sheets Burger Happy Emilio? Happy Hap Emilio.
0: Uh, happy Meal? It's no good. Yeah, I don't know. Boo. <laughs>
1: uh, did you fought? What's the odor? What's that odor? <laughs>
0: Gosh. <laughs> uh, this is, this is what we've descended to. Yeah. It's like an Adam Sandler movie.
1: For sure, 100%. From Grizz, you say Manaya, I say Manoa. All right. From Michael, it smells like fought.
0: You know, I kind of I kind of like that last one cuz cuz you say it's like you say Kikuchi, like yeah. you may not hear that. But visually, it's it has three names in there, and it actually works.
1: Yes, it does. And this last one is from Justin. Eight pound, six ounce, baby Jesus.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.